before we look at this passage, and it's just a, a simple message from God's Word, a couple of things that I would like to say by way of introduction to remind us why the intercessor's ministry is so important and why every believer should be an intercessor. Uh, and it's, it's two big reasons why. Number one, uh, this would be good to write down if you're taking notes, because of our privileges as believers. Our privileges as believers. If you think back to our Ephesians series that we began a couple months ago, we've taken a break from it, um, but we, we spent a great deal of, deal of time on that phrase that God hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We have received all of God's riches in Christ at the moment of salvation. Now, uh, the full realization of those riches won't be until heaven. Uh, but there is a great deal that we get to enjoy now. But as you read through Ephesians, uh, these riches that we've been given, all that we have in Christ, it, it's so glorious, it's so wonderful, but our eyes have to be opened to recognize it and to want it and to go after it. And so that's why the Apostle Paul, twice while he's writing Ephesians, he stops right in the middle of what he's writing and he prays for those believers, uh, asking God to open their eyes to all they've been given. And that's why we need this intercessor's ministry. Because as believers in the Lord Jesus, we have some extraordinary privileges. We should be the most joyful people on the planet. Uh, we should be drawing closer to the Lord Jesus every day. Our lives should be uh, like that path of the just that's as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. That is what we should be experiencing. But if there is not a great deal of prayer that God would open our eyes to what we've been given and give us a hunger and a desire for it, if there's not that element of prayer, we will fall short of all that God has given us. We will not approve things that are excellent and, and enjoy God's best. And so this element of prayer we need much prayer that God would open our eyes to all that he's given us. So the matter of our privileges uh, as believers. But number two, the other big reason we need this intercessor's ministry and, and, and prayer is so important in our life as a church is our responsibilities. You know the, the quote well, with privilege comes responsibility. And it's no different as a Christian. Uh, we've been given all of these riches in Christ, but they are not given us to hoard them, uh, to just gain a comfortable existence for ourselves. We are called to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus and help as many people as we possibly can enjoy the relationship with him that we enjoy. But in order to carry out our responsibility of, of taking the gospel to this lost and dying world, prayer plays a vital role in that. And really, our, our evangelism series this summer uh, involved a lot of prayer. That promise, now, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. That is how we are effective soul winners, by abiding in Christ, and prayer is a vital part of that. So our privileges, actually appreciating them and, and living out of the truths of the gospel, and then our responsibility to, to propagate the gospel in this world, both of those things require a great deal of prayer. 
And so as you go into the fall, if I can encourage you, if you're praying for teens or you're praying for church people or you're praying for missionaries, would you pray that God would open our eyes to all that we've been given? And that as we're studying Ephesians as a church, in a couple weeks, uh, we're going to pick, pick up that series once again. And would you begin really praying that God would do a work in your heart and give you an appreciation for the gospel uh, for your salvation like you've never had before. And I believe if we as a church family are praying that kind of prayer over these next couple of weeks, uh, when that sermon comes, we're going to be ready to receive it. And God is going to be able to take us to the next level in our Christian life of enjoying all that he has for us if we'll just take the time to pray. And then as we enter into the fall, could I urge you uh, to be praying much for lost people in your life? to be praying much that, that God would use you uh, to reach people with the gospel, that he would embolden you. When you're praying for the teens, pray that God would use them to reach their friends. Uh, we've got a list of names uh, of teens that our youth group is going, are going to invite to youth conference in a few weeks. Unsaved teens. If you're praying for the, uh, the teenagers, be praying for these friends as well, that they would come to youth conference and be saved. We have not because we ask not. And if we're praying that God uses our church to reach people this fall, he's going to answer. He's going to work. And so that's just, that's just introduction. That was all free. Uh, now we're going to get into Mark 11 and, and learn more from the Lord Jesus. Uh, we'll read responsively verses 11 through 26. I'll read verse 11. If you can read verse 12, so on and so forth, all the way through Verse 26, Mark 11, I'll begin reading in verse 11. The Bible says, And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto him, No man eat fruit from the hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the table of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, 
and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that uh, this book, it is, it is alive and it's powerful. And we pray that in these a few moments we have together that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to behold these truths, that you'd give us understanding. I pray that you'd uh, give me the words to say, uh, to encourage and to challenge your people. And Father, I pray that you would put a, a desire in our hearts to pray like we've never prayed before. And I ask, Father, that you would make the Metro Baptist Church a house of prayer. Would you please speak to us now as only you can? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in this passage, uh, the, the cursing of the fig tree, there is a lot of significance there. This was not a random act of the Lord Jesus where he was upset that uh, there, there wasn't any food there and he just cursed it. There was great significance to what he did, but that's not the crux of the message this evening. Uh, so we'll have to look at that another time. Uh, but... There are a few things that I see from this passage that I believe will encourage us in the area of prayer. Number one is the hallmark of the church. The hallmark of the church. Hallmark, uh, yes, it's that store where you can buy Christmas ornaments and greeting cards, but uh, that word means a distinguishing characteristic, a trait, or a feature. And when the Lord Jesus shows up at the temple, and they've made it a place of merchandise. They've made it a place of business. He's angry. Because his father's house was never intended uh, to be a place of that kind of business. It was always intended to be a house of prayer. Now, we don't have a, a temple at which we gather uh, anymore. But in 1 Timothy 3.15, we read that the house of God is the church of the living God. So God's people are his house. Uh, we were reminded of that this morning, that individual believers are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when we gather as a body, uh, that is the house of God. And God's house, the hallmark of his house, the, the defining characteristic of the church is to be that we are a house of prayer. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if when the Lord Jesus looked at our church and he had to pick out one thing uh, that, that, that defined the work that we did at Metro Baptist Church, wouldn't it be wonderful if rather than him showing up and having to overthrow things, rather than saying they've got this idolatry going on in their hearts, they, they're, they're more concerned with things of this life, wouldn't it be wonderful instead of that, if he showed up at our church, he could say, this is the house of prayer. That's what he wants for Metro Baptist Church. And intercessors, if I could urge you, we go into the fall, would you pray that we would become a house of prayer? That when the Lord Jesus looks at us, instead of looking on with, with anger, instead of looking on with, 
such dismay at what's going on, that he would look on with joy that this is a house of prayer. When you read the New Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit, who's the author of Scripture, couldn't have emphasized more uh, the priority of prayer within the church. In that same book, we just referenced 1 Timothy. The Apostle Paul is writing Timothy about how the church should function. And I, I've said this before, but we can't be reminded of it too often in 1 Timothy 2.1. The Apostle Paul is getting ready to tell them how the church is to operate. And he says in 1 Timothy 2.1, I exhort therefore that first of all, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of, giving of thanks be made for all men. When God looks at our lives as individuals and when he looks at our church, is prayer first of all? If it's first of all in our life, you know what that says? That we actually believe without him we can do nothing. But if prayer is a little bit further down the list and, and work is first or, 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 or whatever it is, study is first, whatever it is, if those things are higher than prayer, what we're saying is, there are some things we can do without you, God. That's what we're saying. But when prayer is first of all, we're saying, we believe your word that without you, we can do nothing. And so we're keeping prayer the priority in every area of ministry and every area of life because we believe you. And we're helpless to do anything good without you and we want your blessing on everything. And Christian, could I encourage you, it's not just in the life of the church, when we gather, and the ministries that we do as a church body, in our lives, we need to ask the question, is prayer first of all? We are commanded, pray without ceasing. We're reminded of that on Thursday. Prayer should be first of all. It's the hallmark of the church. You can look at the church of Acts. In Acts 2.42, they were continuing steadfastly in prayer with the apostles. When the apostles had to elect deacons, what did they say? We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And prayer came first because the ministry of the word is dependent on prayer. So we see that prayer is the hallmark of the church. Number two from this passage, we see the desire of God's people. So the hallmark of the church and then the desire of God's people. Notice verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. You know, before we even get around to the requirement of faith, and that being a necessity for, for us to have an effectual prayer life, before we even get to faith, we have to have this desire for what we're asking for. You know, there are many things that we pray for as Christians that if we are really honest, we don't really desire. I've been convicted of that. How many times I've asked the Lord, would you, would you give me a divine appointment to talk to someone? And then my heart is smitten by the Holy Spirit. And he tells me, you don't really want that. You don't really want your day to be interrupted uh, by a gospel conversation with someone. And I believe so much of our Christian life, we're praying for things and the problem isn't that what we're praying for is bad or that it's outside of the will of God. But when God looks into our heart, he sees, you don't really want that. And, and God's not going to, 
give us things just because we went through the formality of praying for it. He, he wants our heart involved. And, and, and so he says, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. That's why it's so vital that as we go through Ephesians that we're praying as a church, God, would you open my eyes to all that I have? Because so much of our Christian life, the problem is that these things God has given us, we don't really have much of a desire for them because we haven't been captivated by them and they, they, they don't mean anything to us. And if you don't want something, you're not going to pray for it like this and you're not going to receive it. And so maybe we need to check our hearts and just ask God, would you change my desires? Would you give me the right desires? Would you stir up within me a greater desire for what you want in my life? This reminds us of Psalm 37, 4. It says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now that doesn't mean do some special good works for the Lord, and then he's going to give you what you want. It says, delight thyself also in the Lord. When you get to the point in your life where you're actually enjoying God, and that is, that is the goal of your life, your desires are going to fall in line with his desires. And then your prayers are going to fall in line with his will. And he is bound by his promises to give you what you want, to give you what you ask, because you're asking according to his will. It's the same idea in John 15, verse 7, where the Lord Jesus says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. So you're living as closely to the Lord Jesus as you possibly can. His word is abiding in you. He says, Ye shall ask what ye will. You're going to ask for what you want, and it shall be done unto you. That's what God wants for you. He doesn't want us just going through the act of prayer because we have to, praying for these lists of people because we, we signed some form that we're an intercessor. He wants to do such a work in our heart that the things we are praying for, we badly want them. We've got to have them. And when that desire is brought about in our hearts, we're going to start praying uh, uh, like that importunate man who was banging on the door. And we're going to start praying like the widow woman who just kept after that judge till he gave him what she wanted. When our desires are in line with God's desires, we're going to see uh, our prayer life take off like never before. So I ask you, Christian, the Lord Jesus promised in John 14 that he'd do greater works through those who believe on him. But if we're honest with God and with ourselves, do we want him to do greater works through us? Do we want him to upend our daily lives and, and change everything? Uh, do we want him to uh, rearrange our schedule, rearrange our future, uh, rearrange our day-to-day -day life so that he can do those greater works in us? Do we really want him to use us to do greater works? We can pray, Lord, do greater works through us all we want. But when he looks at our heart, do we really desire it? If we desire it and believe that we receive them, we'll have them. And there's no limit to what God can do through the Metro Baptist Church if we desire the right things and go after them in prayer. Number three in this passage, we see the faith to pray. The faith to pray. Look in verse 22. 
at this simple but powerful statement of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus answering, saith unto them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Now, how many of us, when we've read this passage of Scripture or others like it, we get fixated on such great faith? Wow, the faith it would take to move a mountain. The, the faith it would take uh, to do some of these things that the Lord Jesus promised. And we get fixated on this idea of faith. You know, the, the faith to pray is not a faith in your faith. It's not going to God and saying, Lord, I have great faith and I'm, I'm trusting that I'm trusting enough for you to do this. No, it's simply have faith in God. Our faith isn't what moves the mountain. Our faith, the Lord Jesus said, because he knew that we were little in faith, he said, if you have it as a grain of mustard seed, he, he put the bar pretty low for us because he knew our faith uh, wasn't always going to be that strong. What moves mountains, what, what, what brings about greater works is God. And, and our faith may feel feeble. It may feel weak. We may feel like that, that person in the Gospels who told the Lord, one of my favorite characters in Scripture, he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. How many of us have been there? Lord, I believe you can do this. And then a thousand voices in our head say, nah, he can't. We're, we're feeble. We're weak. We aren't great in faith all the time. But our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in God. And the more that we let him open our eyes to how great he is, we can go to him as weak and feeble as our faith may be, and we can say, God, I want to claim this promise. And, and I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And simply have faith in God. It, it's, not the, it's not the person's extraordinary faith that moves the mountain. It's God's mighty hand. Moving a mountain for God is no big deal. Changing the heart of a person's uh, in your life who right now is, is totally opposed to the gospel, that's a mountain that you can't move, and that you may feel like your faith isn't capable to move, but God can change that person's heart. Have faith in God. That is the faith that God calls upon us to have. And then number four, in this text, we see the life of prayer. So as a church, what should define our church is that we're a house of prayer. But that's going to require that we have the right desires, that we actually want the things that God wants to give us. And then once we want the right things, then there's this faith. Okay, God, I believe that you're able to do as you promised. And my faith sometimes feels weak, but I believe you can do this. And then finally, though, there's this aspect of the life of prayer. Look with me at verse 25. So the Lord Jesus has given these, this great promise about prayer. And he says, And when ye stand praying, forgive... If ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, the, the, the most simple application from this text is simply uh, that if we have bitterness in our heart toward other people, we're not forgiving others, that's going to mess up our prayer life. But there's a, a wider application of this, that your life, how you live is directly correlated to how you're going to get your prayers answered. You see, we could hand everyone in this room an intercessor's list. 
you could go out the next week and you could spend 10, 15, 20 hours praying over those lists. You could spend the time. You could have the list. You could be asking for the right thing. But if our life is not in tune with God and pleasing to Him, it's vanity. Because James 5 verse 16 tells us, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So much more that God wants to do in our individual lives and in our church. But, he, but he's not going to do it through a people that, is, that aren't holy, that, that aren't totally surrendered to him, that aren't living righteously. Proverbs 15 verse 18 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Not just prayer in general, not just hearing words addressed to him, but the prayer of the upright, the prayer of the man that wants to please him. And then the very familiar verse, Psalm 66, verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Pastor Stastny preached about this at leadership camp. If there are things that, we, that pop up on our phone that are evil, that are wicked, that are wrong, and we regard them, we give them time, we give them our, our attention, we, we, we stop to ponder that. If, if there are TV shows that, that we just can't give up because we're, we're just hooked on it and, and we're in season four and, and how could I abandon it now? Whatever it may be. If, if it's iniquity, if it's wicked and we're regarding it, how can we expect to have an effectual prayer life? If there's a friendship in your life that you're just not willing to give up, but being around that person and talking to them and spending time with them is regarding iniquity. It's giving sin room to work in your life. Then how can we expect to be effectual in prayer? And the Lord doesn't work this way. He doesn't say, oh, you're not pleasing me here, 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 and here. But if you do penance with an hour of prayer for the intercessors, I'll forget about that. that that's not how God works. He, he wants our hearts. He wants the whole of our lives devoted to him. He wants to give us himself. But, but, but we have to be willing to give him ourselves. And, and don't be discouraged, Christian. In no means do I mean by this that you have to be perfect in order to be effective at prayer. Not one of us in this room would ever get a prayer answered if that were the requirement. Because not one of us has lived one perfect day. And that is why the Lord Jesus came to live the perfect life that we didn't live. So our confidence in prayer is not looking at the last few days and saying, oh, I did pretty well the last few days, so I think God's going to hear me. That's the prayer of the Pharisee, okay? And that's the prayer that's guaranteed not to be answered. So I'm not saying that perfection is the requirement. But when God looks at our hearts and when he looks at the whole of our lives, is there a consistent and constant desire to please him above all else? And if that is there, and if we're not willing to let anything come in between us and our God, then that is the type of person who's going to have the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. So could I encourage you intercessors? We don't need necessarily more intercessors. I mean, the more we have, the better. The more people praying, the better. But what we need is more 
dedicated intercessors, more righteous intercessors, more intercessors that are desiring the right things, more intercessors that actually believe God and take him at his word, that believe that God can move mountains, that believe that God can change hearts, that believe that God can turn our city upside down with the gospel. That's what we need. And if God could take a group like this and make us into the type of people whom he could bless, there is no limit to what he can do in our city. There's no limit to what he can do through this youth group. With these 10 young people, if they will give themselves up to God, there is no limit to what he can do. And there's no limit, intercessor, to what God can do through you this fall. If you'll determine my life, the hallmark of my life is going to be prayer. It's going to be number one. I'm not going to let anything come in between me and my prayer life with God. And if you begin to ask God, would you give me the right desires? If you begin delighting in the Lord, and if you begin having this faith to believe God and then live a life that backs it up, there is no limit to what God can do through a single intercessor in this word, in this room. But how much more through a room full of them? And so as we go into this fall, we've got some great privileges that God wants us to enjoy. We've got some great responsibilities that God would have us fulfill. Let's, let's, let's go after them in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, You're so good to us. And when we really begin to contemplate what it means to be your child and to have these promises, Lord, it's, it's overwhelming. And, and we pray that in these next months, you would open our eyes to all that we've been given, that you would give us the right desires, that you would increase our faith. But rather than that, just increase our view of you, that we would see how great you are and just trust you to come through on your word. And Father, I pray that you'd work in all of our lives. That if there is anything coming in between us and our God, if there is any iniquity or any sin that we are clinging to that is causing us to, to forfeit, to miss out on all that you want to give us, Lord, would you reveal it to us? Would you bring us to repentance in that area? And Father, would you make us a house of prayer? In these next few moments, I pray, Father, that you'd work in our hearts, that however you've spoken to us, we would respond. In Jesus' name, amen.